This is Luke 24. And I'm going to just read from verse 14 to verse 19. And this is about these two people who were on their way to Emmaus. They were walking. They were conversing with each other about all the things that had taken place. It came, it came, and it came about that while they were talking in this way and discussing, Jesus himself approached. And he began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still and looked sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem, unaware of the things which have happened here in these last days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be sentenced to death and crucified him. But they were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. And some of the women among us amazed us. When they were at tomb early this morning, they did not find his body. They came saying that they have also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were there, who were with us, sorry, went to the tomb and found it exactly as the woman had also said. But they didn't see him. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory? And then verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Now, you may have got a clue from the quiz this morning that we're looking at the scriptures, the Bible, the word of God. And it, it's pertinent, I think, right at the beginning to remind ourselves that we do not worship this. This is not the center of all that we are about as a people. We worship God. We, we come to acknowledge His presence. And we are, we are those who follow Jesus. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, He starts off with an allusion to Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2, where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he talks about how that Word, the living Word, that human being who is Jesus, came and lived amongst us, pitched his tent, is the modern translation. And the allusion is to the fact that when God's Word came into the chaos of Genesis 1, verse 1, that was brooding over the world, the darkness, that when the Word came into the world, it began to be properly ordered in the way that God designed it to be. And so when we talk about the Word of God, we are talking about how all God's interaction with His people have been recorded and have come down to us as an authoritative record of how God has dealt with His people over hundreds of years. But we always, at the back of our mind, understand what, what uh, um, what's his name? This guy, Pete Gregg says, is that there is a cycle all the way around. The Word of God, if it doesn't point us back to Jesus, then there is something that we've missed. 
This always points us back to Jesus. And you'll find in here, it's an interesting... Um, I spent many years studying, and he deals in one chapter with epistemology, which is how do we know what we know, which we deal with each day, because in this current situation we live in in the world, truth is such a commodity. What is truth? Whose truth is truth? What is real truth? That's what we grapple with. That's epistemology. He deals with a Christological hermeneutic, which simply means that we interpret hermeneutics, we interpret all of Scripture, which is exactly what Jesus was doing with these disciples on the way back. Everything is seen through the lens of Jesus. We see the whole of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see via the lens of Jesus. It's, and it comes back to him each time. He deals with, I've already said hermeneutics, exegesis, which means that when you look at the old documents in their context, you try and work out what's going on. That's why we have commentaries and people who learn Greek and Hebrew and all the other languages so that we can understand archaeology, all these other disciplines, history. He also talks about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and contextualization. That was all in this chapter. But the one thing that I want to pick on this morning is he talked about authority. He talked about the authority of the scripture. And when, when it comes to authority, it's one of the most eroded concepts in our current world, I think. There's, there's, there's such a lack of respect for any kind of authority, not just the authority of uh, whatever. You can name it. There is an assault on the understanding of authority. So, I don't know if you heard this. There was about two years ago, two or three years ago, this gentleman somewhere in the UK who decided that he wasn't going to be 60-something anymore. He wanted to be 35. And he wanted to be known to be 35, and he wanted it registered um, that he was 35 or something. I think it was 35. But he decided he wasn't going to be 65 or whatever it was anymore. He was going to be 35. And people took him seriously. This kind of thing is going on all the time, and I, I hesitate to throw this in the mix this morning, but you've got L, G, B, T, Q, uh, dot, 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 X, Y, Z. It, it seems to be a never-ending reduction. There's a reductionism in terms of people's sense of who they are, their identity. And it's for this reason. You know what? The end of that whole reduction is what's known philosophically as solipsism which means that you end up in this little silo of your own self, where you, your only reality is what's in your own brain. That's where we're heading in our society. When we lose the anchor of an objective authority, which is God, number one, but the way that he reveals himself authoritatively through Scripture. So we're in a, I suppose what you would call a major slide at the moment. And it's easy for us to be taken up with all this stuff. And I want to assert again this morning, the scriptures, the Bible, is the authoritative measure for who we are in terms of our identity and how we relate, not only to God, to each other, but to the whole world. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. 
That's what the story is all about. And the inspiration that God does when he reveals himself is to let us in on that story and to show us that Jesus is the pivotal key point, which is what I've said for the last two weeks. I'll say it again. There is only one thing, and it's Jesus. He's the way that everything looks forward to him, and we look back to him, but we're in this amazing position where we look back to where Jesus was, but we're looking forward to him as well, when everything will be neatly brought together in him. Look lost. Oh. So what, for those of you who are new here this morning, we're going through this, but we're just picking up on one aspect or two aspects of it of each chapter. And the thing that I wanted to pick up on this morning was this thing of authority, but he quotes Rowan Williams. Christians read the Bible not as a document from history, but as a world in which they, into which they enter so that they may meet, so, so that God may meet them there. He goes on also further on to say, and I'll just I'm not going to quote much more than this. I just want to read this to you. He says, The Bible is ultimately how we know what we know. Our epistemology is anchored in this vast and ancient record of God's revelation regarding the nature and purpose of reality. We don't, we don't have this so that we can be knowledgeable. And it's great that we can win quizzes. And, um, I've got... 12 baskets instead of 7 this morning. Um, knowledge is good, and it's essential, and it's part of what we have. But the ultimate thing is that we encounter God. Now, we haven't got time to go into all of this this morning, but this is one of the primary ways in which we encounter God. And that's why I read from Luke 24, is that Jesus draws alongside them, but they don't even see it. They are unaware of it. It says that their eyes were kept from seeing. But what Jesus does is a Bible study with them. And he goes back and he reaches back to all the things in the Psalms and Isaiah and as we read in Zechariah and, and the other parts. And he brings them all together and he says, look, when you look at it from the perspective of who Jesus is, it all makes sense. This is what we have to order our lives by. Not some, and, and I'm not talking against um, experience or anything, but we have to be able to have some objective way in which we order the way that we, we see ourselves in terms of our identity and who we are and the way we behave, our morality, all the kind of things that we are as a people. This is what it's about. And again, I say, we don't worship this, but this is the anchor, this is the yardstick, if you like, of how God has revealed himself to us. And we make it plain. Now, I want to ask you, and you don't have to answer this out loud. If this is so important, and there was this question in the book, if this is so important, how much do you spend trying to get to know? That here is 1,400 years worth of accumulated revelation and wisdom, where God himself speaks and shows us. How much time do you spend, and this is to make you feel guilty, how much time do you spend reading it? And there's a, in, in 2010, there was this amazing, I think it came out before that, but it hit the, it hit the world church scene in 2010. 
especially the evangelical crowd. If you read the Bible once a week, it has almost no effect on you. If you read it two or three times in the week, it's kind of marginal. Only as you read it more than four times, four or more times a week. In other words, when it becomes a dominant influence in your life, it actually changes who you are. And so the question is, how much do you really take time to understand what God is actually about in your life? Now, there's, here's, here's, here's the quiz. You know, that last week I said there was this, there's different ways. Uh, audio, video, and disco. Uh-huh. Audio, there's some people who do things better in terms of audio. There's one person in this church I know who has the Bible on their, um, I think it's a CD that they've got. And when they're driving anywhere, they have it going, they drive long distances on their own. And they listen. There are other people who visual. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a visual processor. I've got to read it. And I don't even like digital reading because I like to flip backwards and forwards. And, and you mustn't look at my Bible or any other book of mine. Gail won't read a book after I've read it because I read with a pencil. And I scratch and make arrows and underline and write notes in the side. It makes no sense to anybody else, but it's perfect sense to me because I process it that way. Someone I know really well is a, is a, is a, a disco, uh, he processes on the move. He loves, he thinks while he runs. He processes. So he's got this on Audible. And when he goes for a run, he sticks a chapter on it. And he, he it, it just, it, it energizes his thinking process. And that's what, so I'm saying, you know the old quiet time? Hang, we got drummed in, in, in early Christian experience about a quiet time. And I, there's nothing wrong with it. It's right. It, you need to set time aside. But you need to find the kind of way in which you can interact with what God is saying and doing. Because this is the authority in your life. I would love it to be me or somebody else. We would often like it to be somebody else because then we don't take responsibility. I didn't tell you, or you didn't show me, or something like that, and we, we deflect. You are responsible for your own life, your own discipleship, your own growing up, your own maturing, your own hearing God's voice for you, not for anybody else. Yes, there's a corporate sense of discerning like that, but you have to discern what God is saying to you and how you're going to approach the difficult circumstance at work, or the crisis that you have in your family, or whatever it happens to be. I don't know. I think what I'd like to say now is the authority that we have, I think, is twofold. Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. That's Jesus who stands up and he says in his resurrected state that all authority is given. If you see Ephesians chapter 1 verse, I think it's 21, where he has, he's been seated in heavenly places and he has, he, he's over all the dominions, powers, rulers, authorities and everything. Same in Colossians chapter 2 verse 10, where there's a consistent drumbeat of saying, All authority is vested in Jesus. 
And then what Jesus does with his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 1, and in Luke and so on. But he comes to them and he says, he gave them authority. Now, I would have loved to be on a fly on the wall, quite frankly. How does Jesus give authority to his disciples? He says to them, go and heal the sick and set people free, cast out demons. He consistently says that to you and I. And we need to know that yes, there is an authority, that God is the authority in our lives, but he gives us authority to go and do the things that he talks to us about. You don't have to have it. He gives it to you. And I was trying to think of how do I explain how this has worked for me, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a rather dramatic and extreme thing, but we, Gail and I were in Zambia uh, the one year, and we were probably about 200 kilometers from the nearest town. We were up right in the corner of Zambia, Angola, and the DRC. The only thing close to us was a huge refugee camp that was about 100 k's away. One of the funny things is there was, there were, these guys were singing a song about answering Jesus' telephone line, and I don't think any of them had ever seen a telephone before. But it came time on the one evening, and we were there for seven days, and we would preach all day, and then we have ministry at night. And this young woman who was in her early 20s comes and stands in front of me. And she doesn't speak English, but one of her friends says, in a, in, a, in, a, in a broken way, says to me, the witch doctors have recently been through, and all sorts of things have happened, and now this woman is in some kind of bondage, which I couldn't quite work out. The language issue was a bit of an issue. So I said, no problem. We'll, we'll pray, and we'll just tell this thing to take a hike. Now, I don't have power, and I don't have personally within myself any kind of authority. So all I did was to say, in the name of Jesus, leave this woman. And she hit the floor and started slithering on the floor like a snake and speaking to me in English, perfect English. Well, you know exactly what that was. And you know, we prayed, we didn't get excited, we just told it to go, and she was set free and restored. Now, in a Western context, it might not happen in that way. We still have to deal with people who are in bondage, who are slaves to all kinds of demonic things, and who need healing. And the reason that I want to say to you that you need to be well-versed in this is that you don't get thrown off or frightened by things, but that we are not only aware of who and where authority is vested and how we can understand it, but that we have authority ourselves in His name. And I want to challenge us as a people to be aware that we aren't just here sort of moseying through and hoping we get by until in the 
sometime in the future, either we rapture or we go home. We are here because there is, there is an achingly and a poignant job to be done. People are broken and lost. And the only way, as we were reminded by the Archbishop last week, is Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And we have the authority to do that kind of ministry. To lead people into a place of life and love and joy. So, I want to really challenge you this morning. Jesus is the focal point, And we want to encounter God in Jesus. We are open to the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. But this is how we weigh it and decide whether it's accurate or true or not. This is the thing that we come back to because this continually points us back to Jesus. And when we are steeped and saturated and we, we, we begin to learn, as he says, Pete Gregg says, to begin to hear God's voice as the Spirit, in a way, takes the revelation that God has placed in these black and white scribbles and brings them and, and, and puts them in here, it's like the end of Luke 24. Our hearts are strangely warmed. We experience the presence and power of God. And so, it's again a plea in saying, guys, it's not a chore. It's not something you have to do. But if you want to mature and grow up, you, you need to soak yourself in the thing that is really authoritative. And be open to God's spirit leading and directing you.